My name is Bo. If you guys don't know me, I'm the assistant pastor here, and I have been the assistant pastor since I was 22 years old. And now I'm 40 years old, if you can believe it. It's been that long I've been with Pastor Scott hanging out. And um, I also have a nonprofit ministry called Running Light Ministries, and we, we work with people that um, struggle with sexual immorality of all kinds. I know none of you guys do. I know this church is totally holy and awesome, and you know, so... When I'm teaching today, you know, it might not even be for you. You know, you can just ignore everything I say, okay? <laughs> just messing with you guys. But um, in all seriousness, um, we are privileged to be able to tour um, with Pastor Levi Lesko and um, do big events um, to try to reach uh, really the younger generation, the college students. I mean, I'm 40 years old, um, and, and th- these outreaches are for college-age students to come to them. We desire strongly in in my ministry, Running Light Ministries, and Pastor Levi, that people understand the difference between love and lust, which I just never did growing up. That was, uh, we always lived in the lust paradigm, and um, where I'm I'm from in the North Hollywood area. And it it took years for me to figure out that there was a better way. And that's why we have shirts that say, Better Pleasure. If you've ever noticed, we wear a lot of shirts around this church that say, Better Pleasure, Psalm 36, verse 8. Come drink from the river of God's pleasure. We're trying to help the the culture see that there's a greater pleasure, and it's found in Jesus Christ. That all the other pleasures of this world, man, just don't satisfy the soul. Um, No matter how much you try or how good it looks and all that stuff, it's all there to possess and pervert your brain. Um, so I have tons of stories. I tell your guys as kids when they're in my student ministry. And uh, so I'm going to freak you out today, and I probably won't see them ever again. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, let's pray. Are you guys doing okay tonight, by the way? You guys ready to get in the Word or what? Okay, because we're pumped. Over there, man, we get pumped up. I mean, I know over here it's a little somber and a little mellow, you know, but but I'm wor- hey, I'm working on Pastor Scott on that. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we give you glory. Um, there's a couple things, Lord, that are on my heart. Um, first of all, just pray for these outreaches that start uh, Friday night in Seattle and pray for the travels that I'll be on. I pray that uh, it would be safe. I pray for my wife, Lord. I pray that you just bless her, Lord, as we are going to part for two weeks. And, and Lord, for us, Uh, That's just so difficult. We've been together for so long, Lord, in life, and we've never really been apart uh, for even just this short period of time. And and, uh, so, Lord, I pray that you be with her. And and Father, speak through Pastor Levi, and I pray that you speak through me. And and Father, may you be honored and glorified in our life. May you keep us pure on this trip, Lord. And that's really what I want to pray with this body about, Lord. I want this body to hold me accountable. Uh, Lord, to walk a holy life, a pure life on this on this trip, and and uh, Father, I pray that you would be uh, absolutely honored in the way I live um, on this two weeks um, of doing these outreaches. Father, I do want to pray for all the friends that I'll be uh, running into um, in Oregon and Seattle and Los Angeles and San Jose and Boise, and I pray, Father, that. You give me the words, Lord, the gospel to share with them, something that they don't have. Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, they would see that you are my treasure, and, uh, Lord, you are my everything. Uh, 
And Father, I pray that they would be impacted by um, what you've done in my life and in Sylvia's life for your glory. Lord, we're so blown away by how you have uh, moved our lives to, to this place. And we, we thank you so much for it. And uh, I pray that that would impact their lives. Father, I do want to remember our, our uh, high school and college students that are at camp right now. And Father, what a spirit-led group this is. Uh, Father, I, I pray that same fire that is in these students would rest in this whole church. Um, Father, that you would stir up the, our hearts, Lord, to serve you. I pray that they would come back to, to CCF and, and stir up this body, Lord. And uh, Lord, that it would even stir me up and move me on to greater works, Lord, a greater faith, Father, to see the work that you've done in them. And Lord, they truly are my joy and crown. And uh, Father, I truly... Uh, and so overjoyed by your work in them. Um, I miss it already, Lord. I pray that they would have a blessed uh, couple more days of their camp and a glorious return to their families. And Father, we do pray for our, our pastor, Lord. What a blessing he is to this church and to know we have a minister who is sound in doctrine and, and he studies the word to show himself approved. And Father, I, we pray that he would uh, be spoken to by you at the senior pastor's camp, or, uh, yeah, just conference. And Father, we ask that he would come back with even a greater vision, a greater passion, Father, greater compassion. Uh, Father, make him the minister that you want him to be, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sometimes you can just pray and pray and pray. Um, you know, and I love that. Yeah, and I, I truly mean hold me accountable. Accountability is a wonderful gift of God. It's something that I long to always walk in. A lot of people in church don't like to walk in accountability because it means you need to know about, you need to hear Bo's confession. You need to hear about me, the bad, the stuff he struggles with, sexual immorality, the dark stuff. A lot of churches don't want to hear that. And so they live in a fairy tale, the whole church. They say they're holy, they say they're good, and they look great, but inside they're just rotten. And it's no different from Jesus' day hanging out with people, hanging out with religious right-wingers, you know, seriously conservative with everything. And Jesus just said, you know what? The whores and the tax collectors are going to enter before you. That's a tough word to the church today in the U.S. of A., You guys can't have mercy on Bo unless I confess to you. Unless you confess, how are you going to, unless I tell you, hey, this is my problem, how are you going to be able to extend mercy on me? It's a lost art. It's a lost art. It's something that's lost in the leadership of the church 
that I am passionate about helping other leaders lead. Not through being strong Christians. You're a strong Christian, which means don't tell no one nothing. But being weak. Being weak. For it's when we are weak, then it shows you guys that I need who? God. And he gets what? Glory for the work in my life. You'll never know that. You'll never know that about any minister that ministers to you unless he confesses. You'll never know if he's leaning on the Lord. You'll never see God getting glory because he's too afraid to share with you his struggles. Now, before I go off on my own crew, the ministers, how's your guys' confession like? Where's that at? So interesting, huh? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So simple of a message. Seems like it was a daily thing in the church. Hey, brother, how you doing? Man, I'm not doing good. I was on Google the other day. This is what happened. Man, let's pray. Man, you know what? I got mad at my husband. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and I just did it for whatever reason. Well, let's pray, sister. But it ain't like that, is it? It's not like that. I mean, I I have created, in Running Light Ministries, I've created groups to do what the church doesn't do. Does that make sense? It's not just my ministry. So many ministries are like that. But that's what I've done. I've created groups in Tucson where people, women, we started our first women's group this past month. Praise God. Where people can go and sit there and go, you know what? And everybody who walks through that door I already know where you're at, pretty much, if you're even coming to a group like this. But you know what's beautiful about it? You know what the most beautiful thing is? It's that there's love. There's people extending mercy. And that just, that's just a, it just doesn't happen that often. Love is so wonderful and it's something that separates Christianity from everything is love. And we'll talk about that. As opposed to lust. And in, our, in a section in uh, the book of Samuel, chapter 2, you're going to see that even leadership, even people in leadership can just live through the paradigm of lust and not even know God. And that's radical to think about. I mean, because I think about that too. I never wanted to be a minister. I never wanted to be a pastor. I never woke up one day and went, man, that would really, this would be just great. What a great thing to be a minister. I mean, I fought it every way I could, you know, just 
And it's kind of scary when you think about it. You go, man, I'm teaching about God to people, and there's going to be an accountability there, I would imagine. But my heart really breaks because I want want this church to, to understand a better way so bad. And I hope today is just another time we can kind of get in the Word and and maybe find it. I want, to, I want you to see First cha- Samuel chapter 2. And I'm going to just pull out a few things about this, this passage. There, there's a priest named Eli. And I need, you, I need to tell you that during this time, Israel is absolutely jacked. Meaning, even their priesthood, even their, their religious life is very messed up. Now, out of it, there's some wonderful beautiful things that God pulls out. And God's good like that, where he always has a remnant no matter what. Like he always has his, his people that are doing the right thing, even though there's so many things that are happening bad. You know, you can be in your work and there's so much work environment, so many people that are wa- living in horrible lifestyles, but then there's you, you know, that are, that are walking with Christ. And that's kind of how it was in Israel, where most of it was really corrupt contaminated by the things of the world. And there's this one shining guy, man, who's on the scene, and you guys probably know him as Samuel, the boy Samuel. And he was um, a boy at this time in the book, and he's working in the tabernacle under the head priest named Levi. But Levi had sons who also were temple workers. They worked in the church, if you will. But I want you to see them. It says in verse 15, or verse 14 of chapter 2. Or let's start in verse 13. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, because God digs the fat, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force." Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now, these are the, these are the, these are the religious workers. They abhorred the sacrifices of the Lord. See, you can work. You can be even doing religious things. And man, if lust is in your heart, if you have a lustful heart, you can be far away from God. These priests, we're going to see, lived in this 
paradigm of lust. And what they were doing is this, just so you kind of understand maybe this part. You might have read that with me and you went like, Bo, I really don't grab like what, the, what that means. Basically, when, when you brought um, an offering to the priest, the priest were to divide up the meat and they were to burn the fat. The, God wanted them to burn the fat and the fat was something that was like the best. Have you ever had a steak and you like a little bit of the fat on it? Because the fat holds the salt. Have you ever done that? No, you guys never done that? I've always done that. Oh, you guys have? Okay. I'm like, oh man, maybe I'm odd. <laughs> but anyway, the fat kind of holds all that good stuff in there, you know? And God, man, said, burn the fat. The fat's mine. And, you know, and then you could, then the priest could take the breast and the shoulder, and that would be his portion. It would be kind of like, kind of like, uh, like paying the priest. It's kind of like, hey, thanks, priest, for it. You get some of this too. And then there would be a portion that you would get because it's your sacrifice, and you'd get some of that too, and you'd kind of have a little party with your friends and everything, and you'd get the pinata out, and you'd have a blast. You know, and you go, man, the Lord's so good, isn't he, man? I sacrificed the Lord. He's so awesome, and gosh, this is part of that sacrifice, and man, what a joy Jesus is, man. What a cool thing, you know, that kind of attitude. But the priest, their names were Hophni and Phinehas, Man, they just lusted that food. Just lusted it. And so they would say, hey, you know, um, actually, before we even cook this thing, you need, to, you need to give me, like, the portions I want. And they would take not only their portion, but they would take your portion. And they would use some of that for selling, they would use it for themselves. Now, these guys also did other things that were sinful. If you look at verse 22, you look at, it says, Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. What? Did I read that right? How many of you guys have ever seen a movie on the Bible? You guys haven't. You guys haven't. If there's a movie on the Bible, you guys couldn't, we, we couldn't even watch it. We couldn't even watch the thing. It would be so hardcore rated that we would, we would be kids, adults, this is bad. How many of you guys let your kids watch R-rated movies? Nobody? Wow, you guys are then you guys, you guys wouldn't even let them view the Bible. If the Bible were a movie, it, it wouldn't be G, it wouldn't be PG, it wouldn't be R, it would be X. Because the Bible's hardcore, man. All it has to do is read a couple chapters in the Bible and all of a sudden you get the lot hanging out with his two daughters. Right? They're getting them tanked. And then they're what? Incest. Judah, right? Judah, Jesus from the line of the tribe of Judah. What does he do? He goes down to the town, feels a little little weird. You know, and he goes, man, I think I want to go get me a prostitute. And the Bible's filled. The violence in the Bible, man. People getting stabbed, guts flying everywhere. 
I mean, there's no way in your right mind. Have you ever thought about that? You wouldn't even show the Bible to your kids if it was a movie. Eli and our, had his sons laying with women in the church of that day, the, t- the tabernacle. Lust was ruling and reigning in their life. Now notice the contrast between these two people and look at verse 18 of chapter 2. It says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. And this is really the light in this chapter anyway, is that Samuel is a guy who loves. He's a guy who loves God. He's a guy who's serving God with that right heart in the paradigm of love, not in this paradigm of lust that we see these other people in. But notice, lust doesn't know any bounds. Sometimes we in the church, we look at things and we go, you know, those guys in Bo's group, you know, those guys in Bo's group over there, they kind of, you know, they're kind of hardcore. They have all these issues. It's kind of sexual and stuff. <laughs> like we're weird. Because we're, we're, we're fighting lust, man. We're just, every week, we're just brawling that thing. We're just, let's get together, guys. Let's brawl it. You know, we're fighting. I had a call from a pastor, and I get calls from pastors um, who are dealing with sexual issues. And they think I'm like the pastor, uh, like they call me like the porn pastor. They go, oh, Bo, we got, you know, we got a problem with porn. We're going to call Bo. And I go, Sorry, Scott, this is what it's come to, I guess. <laughs> you know, I didn't plan it this way. But uh, I was talking to a senior pastor out in uh, Arizona the other day, and he's wondering about uh, how he should deal with one of his ministers. And his minister struggles with lust. And, and uh, they have a tracker system on their, on their uh, computers, like, uh, on their network. And I guess they tracked him looking up some stuff. You know, and the, the pastor's like, you know, and I, and I was asking him questions like, hey, well, how long has he been ministering? Oh, he's been ministering in the church for, man, 15 years. Is he a good guy? Awesome guy. Does he love the Lord? Absolutely. Has he been used by the Lord? Absolutely. You know, but, man, we don't know. It's like, man, this is, this is a struggle he has. And it's, you know, and you could tell he's thinking about, I don't know if he was thinking about firing him or what. And I'm like, how many, how many? How many of the pe- I go, can I just ask you a couple questions? He goes, yeah. I go, how many people in your church are, do you think eat well? He goes, what? I go, how many, how many people in your church do you think, um, you, know, um, you know, do you think anybody has a, maybe a weight problem in your church? Do you think they eat like wrong food? And he got real quiet. And I said, do you think anybody in your church lust food at all? He goes, well, yeah, yeah, I think so. I go, are you going to kick him out? I mean, do you, do you not deal with other lusts in the church? Is that how we are? Is that what it's come to? 
Certain lust is okay. It's okay for Hophni and Phinehas to take some of the grub. That's an okay lust. You know, it's okay for, for pastors to make millions of dollars. It's okay. To ride that car. To live in five homes. It's okay for that lust. For food. For things. But the lust for sex, that's, that's the culprit. Well, the pastor saw what, what we call hypocrisy. Do you guys know what that word means? Hypocrisy. Yeah, there's guys that need the group. But you know what? You all need a group. We all need a group because we all should be fighting lust. All of us. Hello? No, I'm just joking. That's the pastor. No, I'm just joking. Turn with me to, to Mark. Now, um, the pastor understood what I was getting at, and he went, man, that's a good point, you know, right on. And my point to him was that, you know what? You want a guy who's fighting the flesh in your church. You want ministers who are fighting. You, I hope you want ministers that fight the flesh. I hope you don't want pastors who tell you everything about the Bible but say nothing about their fight of the flesh so that you guys can go home and, and go, oh yeah, I have, a great, I have a great understanding of the Bible, but I have no clue how to fight the flesh. And man, I feel like God's raised me up to help you guys understand how to fight the flesh. And it's not through my strength, but it's through telling you my problems. It's telling you what I struggle with. When Jesus was speaking in the book of Matthew chapter 7, he says something very interesting, but it kind of puts everything under um, um, kind of a worldview of how we act and why we act the way we do. And it's found in chapter 7 and verse 20. Jesus says, what comes out of a man is what defiles a man. What comes out of a man is what defiles a man. And then he gives this list. For within, or for with, from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Now that's Mark chapter 7 verses 20 through 23. Or 23 reads this. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So what defiles us are from our Lord's perspective is we have a problem. All of us. There's not one of us in this room that can say, oh well I don't have any of these problems. You don't covet. None of you have any deceit. 
we know what Jesus is saying is that the person who doesn't do these things is perfect. The one who doesn't do these things is perfect. And so that puts all of us in the boat of we are the ones who do these things. All of us. So when you look at people and you say, hey, you know what? That person is, you know, they struggle with, you know, sexual stuff, sexual lust. Well, look at your own lust. Look at your own lust. What do you lust? Do you lust money? How much money do you need in your bank account? Have you read the Gospels? Have you ever been convicted? by what Jesus said about the love of money? You want to be my servant? Give it away. Tell you what, man, I read it. I'm no wealthy man. But I read it, and I'm convicted to the bone by what Jesus says. And why I'm convicted is because there's an extreme lust of it that comes up in my mind and in my heart. And I'm cut by what Jesus says. He is truth. And I am not. I have evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murder, and all that list. All those things. Pretty convicting already, right? The word does that. It convicts us. Now, Jesus, you know, said he came to set us free. In John chapter 8, verse 36, he said, have you guys remembered remember that passage? If the Son set you free, you're free indeed. There's a difference that Christians, um, there's a difference in Christians that non-Christians don't have. Non, for non-Christians, lust is the paradigm. It is the worldview. They are in bondage to it. There's no way, the Bible says, they can get out of that paradigm of lust. Everything is within that realm to them. Everything. Everything is through the lens of lust. Desiring, wanting things, even if it's at the expense of others even if it's at the expense of others, getting what they want. We see this in the Bible. If you turn with me in, we'll go to the book of, um, I'll go to 1 John. There's a lot of passages that come to my mind. Look at 1 John, though, chapter 3. And look at verse 16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So lust is a part of the world. And I want you to see that. 
Lust is a part of the world. And what lust does is lust leads us into idolatry. We see this from 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 19. For we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. That's what God has done. He's given us an understanding that we may know him, that we may know God, who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Lust in this world, leads to idolatry. And what idolatry is, it's an evaluing of something greater than God. What it should be worth. That's what idolatry is. That's why you can idol your kids. That's why you can idol your husband. That's why you can idol your wife. You can idol everything in your life if you value it above what it should be valued in comparison to God. Everything should be measured in comparison to God. My kids are beautiful. They're great, but they ain't that great. You guys know, a lot of you guys know how much I love Sylvia. Grew up with that girl since we were kids, man. Did dirt together in L.A. since we were teenagers. Got saved together. Got baptized, man, married and ministry and leaving it all and going to a place called Tucson and, and 20 years of marriage and, you know, just passionate love for my wife, man. I mean, I have a killer marriage, cranking marriage. She's great, but she ain't. Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And on the earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. God is to have the full value. He's to be valued above all things. The world that doesn't know God doesn't know how to value anything correctly. So idolatry is in their life. It's just natural. That's what happens. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, you'll see how it works when it comes to sensuality. I always like that flipping sound. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on things above. Now, for you Christian, this is a good word for you. Set your mind on things above. That's where your brain should be at. Isn't that cool? It says, and not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, these, these passionate sensuality desires that we have, lustful desires, then at the end of verse 5, he tells us what it is. This is, which is idolatry. Lust moves into full-blown idolatry. 
you can look, I don't want other sins to get out of the way, so let's go to Philippians chapter 3. And let's go to verse, how about 18 and 19? I'll go to 19. It talks, it's talking about these people who are walking in the flesh and, and, and they're, they're doing what they, their desires want them to do. And it says in verse 19 of chapter 3 of Philippians, their end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Like Hophni and Phinehas, they're setting their mind on their bellies, on their appetites. I tell the youth all the time, the students, I always say, how many of you guys are, you know, you know, in bondage to, you know, or you feel like food's an idol? And they'll go, oh, I don't, you know, they'll go, I don't. And I go, how many of you guys have ever said to your parents, you know, like, you know, like, what's there to eat? You know, or you'll look in the cabinets and you'll go, man, there's nothing to eat. You know, and they go, man, I've done that. I know, and I was there really nothing to eat? And they go, no, there was stuff to eat. I go, so what you're saying is that you just, that you just, that you just didn't have what you wanted to eat. And they go, yeah. And I go, so why, you, why do you eat what you eat? Is it for function? Or is it because you want it? And they go, oh, because it tastes good, Pastor Bo. I go, ah. Yeah. Why do you want to have sex with that woman? Because it feels, feels good. Feels good. Is that right? Is that good? You love how we just double standard it all. See, God's moving us towards holiness, gang. He wants to move us away from bondages. And that means we need to be meticulous. You know what I mean? We need to, we need to think about every part. Go, man, Lord, what am I doing with this? What am I doing with that? Why do I do this? One of the most crazy things to me was I met a there's a guy in our church for the past 17 years. His name's Dan Boomhauer. For those of you who don't know him, he's a tall six foot two, Norwegian looking guy who just walks kind of like this on Sunday. He's got his little wife with him. He wears glasses and he's always in a workout outfit. One day I went up to Dan and I go, hey Dan, dude, I like working out, you know, and I, I could see you're real strong. And he's like, he's like, thank you, you know, and, and he's very cordial. And, and I said, man, you know, I'd love to just, man, like, learn how to train, and, you know, things like that, you know. And so he goes, okay, you know, you know let's get together, you know, pastor. I said, okay. So I got with him, and I'm all excited. I'm in his gym, and I'm getting ready to work out. And I'm like, man, it's okay, so what are we going to do, you know? And he's like, well... He's like, well, let me ask you a question, Pastor. Why, why do you work out? And I thought, I was like, man, that's a weird question. Never even thought about that. And I go, well, I guess it's to stay in shape. Maybe it's good for me, you know, it's good. It's kind of a healthy thing, you know. I kind of enjoy it, 
you know? No, Pastor. No, that's idolatry. So do you do it for the Lord? Do you do it to seek God? <laughs> I was pastor was put in his place. <laughs> you know what I mean? The pastor was put right in his place, man. Boy was that convicting. Boy was that convicting. And he said, you know, let's pray. And I said, right on, dude, let's pray. And then I said, what are we going to do now? And he's like, well, we're going to talk about the Lord and, you know, and maybe lift a little, but, you know, we're going to pray and seek God. And it started, it started to happen where we started calling his gym. He has his own gym that he personal trains out of. We started calling it Bethel from the book of Hosea chapter 12. It says, from Bethel you will you will speak to us. From, Beth, from the workout gym, God's going to talk to us. And we started going to that gym every day, and, or not every day, but every time we met, to hear from God. Working out became secondary, man. It became about fellowshipping, learning about Jesus, you know, lifting some weight and thinking about, Lord, man, we want to honor you just in this part of our uh, uh, with our bodies that you've made. That's what we want our hearts to be at. And if it's not that, man, let's end this thing. If it's not about you. See, I don't want lust to be part of any part of my life because it is and I see it. But I want it eradicated. I want to fight. Whether it's food, whether it's sexual things, whatever, whether it's financial things, those are things we want to attack. If you turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, we're going to do a First Peter barrage of what he says about the issue of lust. One of these days, dude, I'm going to totally get hip. I'm going to have my iPad, and I'm just going to go off of this. But until that day, I'm going to have my Bible. Yeah, I'm just going to be old school. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now I'm going to take you just through the 1 Peter, just on the issues with lust. And I want you to hear what Peter's saying to us about this, about this paradigm. We know that the world lives in this. We know that the world, um, that's all they have is the lust of the flesh. They're in bondage to it. They can't get out of it. But we, we found no Christ. We know the truth from that passage in 1 John that we have an ability to fight against this, where people in the world can't fight against lust. They move from one lust to a different lust, to another lust, to another lust. And they, they have no, in a sense, victory over those things. But now it says to us in verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance. What this passage tells us is that there was a time that we lived in ignorance to lust. We didn't even know we lived in that paradigm. It was just a part of our lives. We might have thought it was wrong. We might have thought, man, I shouldn't have done it like that. Or we might have been sorry for some of the things we did. But we had no understanding of the corruptive nature of lust in us and what it was doing to those around us.
it says that it is a, a former lust. Don't conform. So he say, what he's saying is this. As Christians, don't be like you used to be. Don't live in your former lust. That's no longer our paradigm. See, our paradigm now is love. God is love. First John. Love is of God. He who loves has been born of God. The only people that love on the planet, check this out, from the Bible's point of view, are born again Christians. For love is of God. If you don't have God, then you don't know his love. The love, that paradigm of his love. And too many of us live, we understand that, yet God is love, but then we bring the world lust into our lives. I always say it this way. God so loved the world, he did not lust it. And your intimacy with your spouse should reflect that. Lust has no place in your life. It will corrupt every part of your life. Even if you are married and you're married here and you lust at your wife. Lust knows no bounds. God loves the church. He does not lust the church. He wants you to love your spouse. And love in, the, in a biblical definition is this, is your joy is in her godly or in his godly benefit. That is Christian love. Jesus' love, he loved us, meaning his joy was in you, man, being born again. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. For the joy that was set before him, his bride, he was making himself a bride, a white bride, pure bride. It's going to be in his blood. And he loved him. So his laying down, his sacrifice, man, he didn't go to the cross all bummed out. He went to the cross with joy in his heart. That's love. It's my joy, my, my godly joy that's in me, that's in the benefit, it's for the benefit of Sylvia or my kids or you. Peter says, don't conform yourself to that lust of the old ways. Now look at chapter 2. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now this tells us something very interesting about lust. And that is lust attacks Christians as well. When Jesus says the Son will set you free and you will be free indeed, some people interpret that wrong, very wrong. Some people say, well, oh, no, the Son sets you free. And I go, well, what do you mean? Well, I, you know, I mean, if you have sexual sin and like, you know, lust, and they're always talking about sexual stuff, you know. But they're always like, if, if you really know Jesus, and he sets you free from that. And I go, oh, oh like, do you, do you have pride anymore? Do you have no pride? Do you have no, like, no jealousy in your heart? No covetousness in your heart at all? Son says you're free, you're free indeed. You see where it's wrong? 
wrong interpretation? Yeah, it's not what it means. Now, those who know Jesus, their sins have been pardoned. Yes. Free from the bondage of hell. Praise God. I'm set free from that. I mean, that's beautiful. But the Bible lets us know that there will be a fight for us. Even today, look at what Peter says. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, you Christians, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. It's going to be a battle that happens in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, right? Let's just stop there. Fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it's the rest. Those that are born of God have an ability to love like God, supernaturally. A love where our joy is in the godly benefit of other people, even to the point of our own demise, even to our own suffering as Jesus' was. You see it? We mimic him. Our own laying down of our lives are just like Jesus. It's not a bummer to to help you out. It's it's, it's a joy to lay down my life for your benefit. Abstain from fleshly lust. Galatians chapter 5, it says also the fruit of the Spirit is love. But in that section of Galatians chapter 5, and I'll turn there and read this little section for you very famous to a lot of you uh, Bible readers. But if you look at this passage, it's very clear that this battle wages between love and lust. I say in verse 16, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And he's contrasting that with what? The ways of the flesh, which is in the realm of lust. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. So as a Christian, you will be battling lustful thoughts, lustful desires. And you will also be battling things uh, that go against the things of the spirit. Do you get the picture that this is something that should be a meticulous fight? Meaning it should be something that's a battle every day? That it should be something that you ain't, it's not like something where every month you go, whoa, you know, like, God, I kind of have some things going on. But you kind of get the feeling that it's every day, man. Every day the flesh battles against the, the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And every day I need to work on abstaining from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. It's an everyday thing. And you know what? Certainly it is. The last passage in the book of Peter that I will take you through. And I can talk all day on this subject, so I don't, I don't want to go too long. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, or, uh, let me look here, chapter, yeah, look at chapter 4, verse 2. 
It says that we should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. That's chapter 4, verse 2. That we should no longer live the rest of our time, us Christians, in the, in the, in the flesh for the lust of men. When we look around the world and we see the lust that's in the world, the things that people desire in the world, do we mimic that? Do we want that? Do we want what those people have? It says we should not live for the flesh in the lust of men, but for the will of God. A Christian has the ability to live for the will of God, and you have that ability today if you are a born-again Christian, to live out of the paradigm of lust and live for the will of God, to live in that paradigm of love. Now, if you read the Bible a lot, you're going to find that the whole Bible is filled with this. The whole Bible in general is a love-lust contrast. Either you're going to walk in lust and live in the ways of the world, or you are going to come to know Christ and know who God is and to know his love, and you're going to know a different way. And, and the Bible stresses that it is a better way and it's a better pleasure. It's a better desire. And I want to give you guys things, just practical things, to help you walk in the ways of God, in the ways of love, and not in the ways of lust and not going back. And I, I hope that just going through some of these passages, and I didn't touch on Romans 6, and I didn't touch on Romans 13, which are other passages that deal with this issue, but I, I hope that you guys kind of walk away from this going, hey, you know what, Bo? There are areas that I've overlooked. There's things that, that I've definitely lived in a way where, you know, I've kind of had a plank in my own eye. And there's things that I've looked at and I said, hey, you know what? Um, you know, I've judged over there, but I, I'm not really looking at at what's going on in here. And it would be great if we as a church, man, were, were people that, you know, one day we could come up to each other on Sunday and you go, man, how you doing? You go, man, I'm not doing good. I stumbled this week. And that's what's so cool about my groups. And I go, man, let's pray. Let's talk about it. Man, let's fight. And this is how we fight. I want to give you these things. We fight first with the, our hearts to be set on the glory of God. This is how love is manifested in Christians who are fighting against lust. This is how the Bible says it shows itself in Christians who are fighting against the flesh. Their motivation is for the glory of God. That is their desire. Meaning their desire isn't for their families per se. It isn't for their wife or things like that per se. It's for the glory of God. I want God to be glorified in my life. Why do you want to get out? Why do you want to eat good things? Why do you want to be healthy? It's for the glory of God. I want to honor God in my life. Not some of it. Not part of it. But all. And so whatever I'm doing in my life, I want to bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, am I honoring you in this area? Am I trusting you in this area? Am I leaning on you in this area? Those are hard decisions that we make. 
in a world that fills us with so much pressure every day to obey it and to obey it and to obey it. It is very difficult, impossible, without Christ, without the power of the Holy Spirit to move away from that paradigm to one where you desire to glorify God, even if it means a decision that some people don't understand. Your family members look at you and go, you are enough. And you go, but I want to honor the Lord. I want to honor Christ. And so that's the first thing, is really seeking the glory of God when you're fighting against the things of the flesh. The second thing I wrote down is is having the word of God be our, our guide, meaning plugging into our power, which is the word of God. In order to fight the flesh, you need to be a biblical scholar. It's not just up to me or Scott or other elders or whoever to be studying. We all are to be students of the word of God and to study the Bible. With Hophni and Phinehas, it's kind of a sad story. They, Eli was their father, a minister. Eli also raised Samuel, who became a wonderful man. Isn't that crazy? Same father. Some kids didn't get it. One kid did. Was he a bad father? Well, he wasn't too bad. Samuel was pretty cool. Awesome guy. But what I get out of that is, man, there's no grandchildren in heaven. You need to make a decision that Christ is your Lord and Savior and he is your treasure individually to study his word and to know it. The more that you see God in a biblical version of God, if you will, through your studies, the smaller the lust of the flesh get. Does that make sense? The bigger Jesus is, the smaller the lust of the flesh get. You know, the more you get away from your study time in the word, man, you're just, you're just a field day for the enemy. And sin seems so great, doesn't it? So strong. But man, the bigger Jesus you have, the more greater understanding and knowledge of Christ the more smaller lust becomes where you start looking at it. I know in my life I started looking at pornography and stuff like that. I started going, man, it just doesn't have the the lure that it once had. It doesn't look as good as it used to. There was a time in my life it looked real good. But as Jesus became greater and bigger, and my knowledge of the word got bigger and more, and I was just, whoa, check that out, check this out. You know? Then lust no longer had its Mm, on me that it once had. Wanting to glorify God in your life, that's how you conquer lust. Wanting to pour and understand God's word more, getting into the word. The other thing I put down is a tough one, and that is confession. You want to win a battle against lust, then you need to be an honest person. You will never win the battle of lust if you don't confess. And that's going to scare some of you, and I know that. And that's why we have our groups. is because it's a place where people can go. And I'm there. 
Bo Ouellette, the assistant pastor of Calvary Christian Fellowship for 19 years. And I hope that says something to everybody in that group. That if Bo's here, then it's okay that you're here. If there are times in your life where you feel complete, or you feel like you, you're not growing in your Christian life, it could very well be that you just aren't confessing. And I think you know that. I think in your heart you know that. But you know what? If you have number one down, all things for his glory, then you'll have number three down. If all things are for God's glory, then it's no longer about you, is it? Or is it? Or is it? See, a lack of confession is because it is about you, and it is about me, and it's right rooted with pride in our members where we will not confess because I don't think I have to. Bad, bad answer. The answer should be, man, I want to confess. Praise God I get to confess. It's a move towards the light. Isn't that good? Moving towards the light is a positive, not a negative. Confession should never be seen as a negative in your families. Your husband come up to the wife and say, you know, honey, I struggle with pornography. Whoa! Wow! I was crazy, you know? But that's how it is, right? It's just like that sound. Things are, oh my gosh. And some of you women, man, I feel so bad. It's like, man, you're just so, it's like, You know, it's like because there's so much lack of confession in your families, because you haven't heard a confession in 25, 40 years, that when it hits, it's like that sound. It is, and you don't know how to react. You don't know how to have mercy. You don't know how to have grace. You don't know how to love. You don't know how to, man, you know, praise God. He's showing you that that's sin. And that you're stepping into the light and we're moving forward. Praise God. We don't see it like that. We freak out. We don't see the plank. We don't see our own lust. I mean, do you see how evil it all is? It's just gooey. It's just nasty. The whole thing about it. It's like we're just stuck in this pit. And it's because no one sees it as a positive. And yet King David, man, he's like, blessed is the man whose sin's forgiven. Praise God. Happy. Dude, I'm stoked. Get to share about it. Tell the world. It's going to be a song. Everybody's going to read it. <laughs> you, know, but you know what I mean? He was, he was genuinely blessed, happy to confess it. My bones grew old, he says, when I just kept it in. 
And that's what our families are like. They just grow old. That's why marriages grow old and there's no passion and no love because you're not living in love. You're not living in the paradigm, which is confession's part of it. You've lived in lust. And not just sensual lust, but all kinds of lust for all different things. And so you've kept things secret for so long. Man, that's a burden, boy. That is a burden to carry. Learn to love each other. Love each other. Sylvia, I struggle with sexual immorality. Honey, I struggle with food. Honey, man, there's times where I'm struggling with money and hoarding it, not giving it. And it should be daily confessed to one another. Daily. I mean, you guys love each other. We love each other. Me and Sylvia love each other daily. It's not like we wait a month to love each other. Vital. It's vital. If you look at your relationships and you go, man, I wonder where they're at, I wonder where they're at, see how much mercy you have in there. See how much mercy you have in there. And see how much confession you have in there. See how those two relate to one another within that relationship. For me, I teach, it's going to be radical. This is radical, church. But I like to give it to you. But I teach what's called open confession. And what I mean by that is I mean that at some point, I believe it is vital to be open with people that you care about in your life about your sin. And that can be your unbelieving dad, in my case, your unbelie- my unbelieving brother. Has no bearing on my life, meaning they don't know my situation, they don't know anything about Bo or anything like that, but I believe it is important that everybody in my life, including you, church, need to know me. Because I, I, I need you. I need your love. And it leads to my next thing, accountability. How many people you, you know that go, you know what, I'll fight lust, it'll be through accountability. That's a good Christian thing. People will say, how many, I'll say, how many accountability partners do you have? One. Maybe two. I say, try a hundred. See how it works then. Man, it's your joy. It's your joy in Christ to have more accountability. It shows more people your need for who? Jesus. And if you're out to glorify Jesus, then you're going to be okay with what people think of you because you're really your heart's on who? Jesus. It's on how he can be glorified in your life. And the only way he's going to be seen and glorified in your life is if you show people that you're depending on him. There's no other way. They will not know the glory of Christ in your life unless you show them your dependency 
And the only way you can let them know your dependency is if you reveal your weakness. And we've gone full circle in this message, haven't we? Wanting to be weak. Lord, I am a weak man. I read your scripture and I, I, don't, I see where I fail in the list that you give. I need you in my life. I want to have other people help me because that is part of your manifold grace of God. First Peter chapter 4, verse 11 is the church, is the accountability within the body of Christ to love one another, to know each other's issues so we can have mercy on one another, so we can confess our sins to one another. A church that does not confess is a church that will not have accountability. And a church that does not have those things will not love. Because there is simply no longer any need for it in the church. No more need to love. Because we're all fixed. We're all right. But that's not true. I'm so blessed to be a part of this church because, man, it's, it's downright a real church. And the Holy Spirit is doing some crazy, radical things in this church, man. Through people being honest and upfront and the amount of love and the love of Christ that's pouring out in people's life to one another, it's such a joy for me to see. And if I know you're here tonight, I know there's people here tonight that this message is spoken to and went, man, you know what, boy, I haven't really fought lust like that. We're going to have leaders up front. And please, come and just, if you need to confess with someone, you need to talk to someone. That's why they're here. You need to be ministered to. It's not just for you to go out and just leave the church and just go, hey, I'm done. But it's, you know, you need to be ministered to. And this is just a part of it. Do you understand that? Me up here speaking or Pastor Scott up here speaking is just a small part of it. It's just a tiny part of it. We're toes. And we're just a toe in the body. But there's arms and legs and all different parts that need to be working effectively so that this church is, is you know, not the biggest church or anything like that, but it's a real church, man. It's where we get real. And we say, you know what? This is an issue I'm struggling with, bro. This is an issue. And it's not just to come to me, but it's to come to the leaders, the other people. It's not just like, oh, I can only talk to Bo because he's got the answer. No, the Bible's got your answer. So I'm going to just pray, and I want the Lord to speak to your guys' heart tonight. As, man, he speaks to me on these, this sermon every day. It seems like I just walk in this constant battle and this, this fight. So let's pray. Father, we, we re- lean on you right now, Lord. Father, we just come to you as, as believers in you, Jesus. And, and Father, we, um, I just want to come humbly before you. And, uh, Father, I hope that, and I, I just hope that your word has impacted people's lives tonight. And, and Father, they see that there's areas in their life that, uh, Father, you want a better, Lord. You want to be that better treasure, that, that better pleasure, Lord, in their life. And Father, I pray for those who struggle with sexual immorality. I pray for those who struggle with food. I pray for those, Father, who struggle with drug intake. Father, I pray for those that 
struggle with animosity and hatred and bitterness and all the things, the strife that goes on in us, Father. Help us to have mercy on people. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your mercy on us, Lord. That you've been so graceful to open up our eyes to who you are, Jesus. And we thank you for the freedom, Lord, the freedom that we have from seeing things in that one way that lustful way, Father, but you have freed us from that, Lord, and you've placed us into your kingdom, Lord, this new life, Lord, that we have in you where we can see things through the lens of love. And, and Father, may that be just our heart's desire as a church, Father, to grow in love, Father, that you would be honored and glorified. And Think of your scripture, Lord, and what it says is what matters most is faith working itself out in love. And Father, may, may that just be where our hearts are at tonight. I pray that people would be ministered to uh, up front, Father, um, after the last song. Lord, you would uh, do that work in people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.